0: Welcome to the Out of Order podcast, where we explore how the world was, is, and will be ordered. My name is Sharon Sterling. I'm the deputy director for GMF's Asia program, and I'll be your host for today's discussion on Turkey. When you meet with Secretary of State Pompeo and National Security Advisor Bolton, will you tell them that Turkey is still going to go through with this purchase of the Russian system, the S-400? Definitely. It's a dumb deal. And after many warnings, the U.S. has stopped delivery of F-35 aircraft parts to Turkey in retaliation for Turkey's ongoing purchase of a Russian-made air and missile defense system.
1: The Turkish National Defense Minister, Hulusi Akar, stands by Turkey's decision to purchase S-400 missile defense systems from Russia.
2: Turkey must choose. Does it want to remain a critical partner of the most successful military alliance in the history of the world? Or does it want to risk the security of that partnership by making reckless decisions that undermine our alliance?
0: U.S. and Turkey, NATO and Turkey, the relationship has been volatile for some time now. But we're in a particularly challenging moment over Turkey's intended purchase of the Russian defense missile system, the S-400, and what that means for the F-35 deal with the United States. The argument is that the operating of the S-400 alongside the F-35 could result in the collection of information that would compromise the aircraft's stealth technology and impact interoperability between NATO allies. The F-35 deal was not only that Turkey would purchase about 100 fighter planes, but that it would also be part of the industrial base, construction of the aircraft, which would have been a boon to the Turkish economy. But with Turkey set to go ahead with the purchase, not only will they lose their role in manufacturing of the F-35s, but they could also be slapped with sanctions under the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act that targets transactions with Russian intelligence and defense sectors. I'm joined in our DC studio by two outstanding Turkey experts, Oskar Hisar Jukle, director of GMF's Ankara office, and Ian Lesser, vice president and executive director of the Transatlantic Center and GMF's Brussels office. So Ian and Uzgar, when the Turkish foreign minister was here in Washington, D.C., about a month ago for NATO engages, on stage, he told the crowd that the S-400 acquisition was a done deal. But last Monday, President Trump and President Erdogan had a phone call, and in the readout, reportedly again, the S-35 was part of the conversation. What, it, what is going on? Is this a done deal? Is it not a done deal? Does Erdogan believe that his personal relationship with President Trump might result in the F-35 deal going forward? Is he trying to halt possible sanctions? Um, or is Turkey getting mixed signals from Washington? The White House is saying one thing. State Department, DOD is saying something else. What's going on?
1: Well, all of the above, actually. Uh, first of all, yes, it probably uh, is a done deal. It's now too late uh, for Turkey to walk out of Uh, this deal. As Russia has said that they will uh, deliver the first parts uh, in July, so uh, in basically a few months. But the conversation uh, between Turkey and the United States continues because Washington hopes that Turkey can still be dissuaded from the deal, while Turkey hopes that Washington can be persuaded that it's okay uh, for Turkey uh, to buy the S-400 missile defense system. Uh, As opposed, uh, when we come to uh, the mixed signals, uh, it's true, uh, this is not only uh, in this case, in many uh, foreign policy issues, not only Turkey, but all European allies uh, get mixed signals from Washington.
2: I, I think it's also true that you know in diplomacy there is a general tendency to believe that a deal can be done, and I think we have two presidents in play here who, maybe more than the usual, the usual pattern, the usual traditional pattern, really believe that their own personal imprint can make a difference. But I, I think there are also other issues on the table, and you know it is possible to imagine a deal. Um, and I think this is probably what the State Department is after. That involves some concessions from the United States on other things that Turkey is concerned about, including in Syria and maybe in other areas as well, with some assurances, maybe a delay on the S-400s. Uh, I think one of the things that is uh, is being talked about is that um, that either Turkey will delay receiving the S-400s or um, in some way could agree to um, to keeping them kind of in a cold storage or selling them on elsewhere. Uh, These kinds of deals have happened in the past with Russian equipment. There was a similar situation in Cyprus many years ago where the Republic of Cyprus had bought S-300s and and it turned out in the end that the deal there in Turkey's favor frankly was that uh, these were never unpacked and they sit in crates to this day in Crete. Um, So there are all kinds of things that could be imagined. I agree with Özgür that it's very, very unlikely that Turkey will back away from this deal. I think uh, everybody seems to be committed, and frankly, the Russians simply have too many equities, too much leverage with Turkey to, f- to make it easy for them to back out of it. I mean, obviously, Turkey has, and Özgür can say more about this, Turkey has a, has a very developed relationship with Russia, always has, especially on the economic front, uh, many industries um, it's everything from agriculture to pharmaceuticals to energy trade. Uh, Turkey gets the bulk of its gas supplies from from uh, Russia. So uh, there's a lot at stake and uh, a lot of commercial interest at stake. Turkey doesn't want to put this in jeopardy.
1: And, and also the Turkish strategy uh, in Syria is dependent on Russian approval. So the moment uh, Turkey and Russia fall apart, uh, I believe that Turkey won't be operational in Syria any longer.
0: So the, the argument that you hear sometimes from some in Washington, D.C. is that Turkey is using this as an opportunity to gain more leverage and it's not necessarily trying to get closer to Putin and Russia. But, that, but you're saying that that's actually not necessarily the case.
1: Well, these are not mutually exclusive uh, as a matter of fact because uh, Ankara doesn't see uh, getting closer to Russia uh, as getting farther away uh, from NATO. Uh, so Turkey hopes that it can have very close relations with Russia and maintain uh, very close ties uh, with NATO and the United States. I personally think it's not uh, that easy, uh, but this is the thinking in Ankara. We should also uh, maybe talk a little bit about the personal rapport between uh, the two presidents, uh, President Erdogan uh, and President Putin. Uh, This has actually helped the the rapprochement between the two countries a lot. The two leaders uh, seem to like each other, like talking to each other and like cooperating. So that's also bringing the two countries closer to each other.
0: And then on the flip side of that, how is the relationship? We talked a little bit about the U.S. relationship with Turkey and a little bit about Trump and Erdogan's relationship. Um, what about broad, broader speaking? Right now, um, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is in Ankara. What's the NATO and Turkey relationship like at this point? Well,
2: you know, I think the bilateral relationship between Turkey and the United States is an extremely strained moment. It's never been an easy relationship to manage. It's always been difficult. uh, And it was usually managed by professionals on both sides. And I think one of the things that we see now is that it's increasingly politicized. It's not being handled that way, which isn't helping. But there's a long history of Turkey being under sanctions from the United States. Uh, And so Turkey has, and this goes back even to the 50s and 60s, frankly, Uh, and then in the 70s over Cyprus again, and even more recently, uh, you know, Turkey wasn't able to get deliveries of attack helicopters or frigates uh, some time ago, decades ago, actually, 20 years ago, uh, because Congress wouldn't permit the transfer. So, you know, there is some reason for Turkey to be concerned about the reliability of the United States as an arms supplier. Um, I think for NATO, many of the concerns that you mentioned at the beginning about the interoperability, about uh, compromises with the F-35 program, a plane that many NATO allies are buying, um, are quite serious. Uh, the Secretary General of NATO has said actually that allies are entitled to buy armaments from wherever they like. Those are national decisions. doesn't mean that people like it don't like it, and the relationship between Turkey and NATO allies is, frankly, quite strained inside NATO headquarters at the moment.
1: Ian, you have said that the relationship between Turkey and the United States has always uh, been strained, uh, which is true, but it probably was, it, it was probably never so vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, I think that we could, it's time to talk about real vulnerability, uh, particularly if Turkey goes ahead, as it probably will, uh, with this S-400 deal. Uh, there will be several consequences which could put Turkey on a path dependency uh, away from the West.
2: Here, this really makes a difference. We're not talking about this in a vacuum. I mean, there are at least two things that are bearing on this that that are worth thinking about for both countries. Uh, One is simply the deterioration of the security situation in the region. I mean, Turkey always had a a difficult neighborhood, as Turks like to say, but frankly, it's not just difficult now. It's crisis-prone, it's uh, in turmoil, it's in conflict. Uh, Syria may never go back together, Iran is a long-term geopolitical competitor. Uh, The list of of issues around Turkey simply goes on, so it's very insecure. Turkey needs allies. The West also needs Turkey as an ally to manage many problems, not least the flow of of, uh, refugees and other things. So, um, So there's a lot at stake on that front. And secondly, the relationship with Russia is deteriorating. If, if Russia was a benign actor, we probably wouldn't be having this debate. It's not. And so, as you say, Özgür, I mean, there are consequences here. And if Turkey goes in the direction, feels it only has the option of reinforcing a relationship with Russia, this is going to be a Russia that's increasingly at odds with the West.
1: And at a time when NATO is trying to develop strategies to contain Russia in the Black Sea, or at least in the Mediterranean, uh, it's very important uh, that Turkey plays by uh, the NATO strategy. Uh, rather than helping Russia.
2: Well, I mean, you know, Ezgar, I'd be interested in what you think about this because, uh, you know, if you look in a very long-term historical perspective, uh, Turkey and Russia arguably are strong geopolitical competitors. I mean, How many wars have there been between Turkey and Russia? Usually
1: the Turks lose, by the way. Uh, I don't don't know the number, uh, but I can say that actually it's Russia uh, that destroyed the Ottoman Empire.
2: In some way. So there's there's a long history of friction and competition, uh, you know, Uh, you don't really know what you're getting from a closer
1: relationship with Russia. Well, true, but uh, of course we should also keep in consideration uh, that when the United States says that it will withdraw from Europe, countries like Turkey then start thinking about a future uh, where the U.S. is not as present uh, as it is today, and Turkey might find it easier to appease Russia uh, rather than to antagonize it. Uh, I think that's part, part of it is what's happening.
2: yeah. And there, and there is this long-term anxiety, I would say, in the strategic class in the United States about Turkey as a security partner. And it's not new. And there's a real interest in Turkey. You can see this, of course, in diversification or a stronger relationship with Greece or a stronger relationship with Romania around the Black Sea as a way of hedging against uncertainties in the relationship with Turkey, including
0: the use of injure-like airbase. So we're talking about the neighborhood. I, I actually want to ask you a more technical question. What is this S-400 actually going to be protecting against?
2: Well, you know, air defense systems these days are, are multi-purpose. Uh, it's obviously a defense against capable aircraft, but it's also a defense against uh, ballistic missiles above all. And and Turkey lives in a neighborhood where these threats are very, very obvious, not least from Syria and from Iran.
1: There are different ways uh, to look at this. First of all, as uh, Ian has said, the immediate threat uh, would come from uh, Syria and Iran. I assume that the Russian S-400 wouldn't protect Turkey uh, against the Russian uh, ballistical Especially threat.
2: Especially not if, if they have uh, <laughs> Russian technicians working on it.
1: But of course, also, as Ian has said, these are mobile and very flexible systems, so they could be relocated, uh, depending on where the threat is coming uh, at a particular time. There is even uh, the rumor that uh, actually, and you know, I'm, I'm saying this maybe half as a joke, but half as a reality. Uh, you know that Turkey was actually attacked by its own air force uh, two years ago during a coup attempt. So there are actually people uh, who think that Erdogan wants this as a defense against its own air force if it goes against him.
2: I have heard analysts in Turkey, very well-informed ones, tell me that the Turkish, Turkish air force itself is not that keen on acquiring this S-400 system Uh, because it would be difficult to integrate. Um, They would have to maintain sort of parallel um, logistics structures in order to to operate it. Um, And it's in some ways a kind of bother for them, not to mention all of the Compromises it would make and the difficulties within NATO that it would raise and all all the rest of it. But I I don't know if that's I don't know if that's accurate.
1: Well, that would that would in any case actually start a new political uh, the new strategic culture uh, within the Turkish military. Some officers would learn Russian uh, as a foreign language as opposed to English. They would go to Russia uh, for trainings. Russians would be visiting Turkey for for maintenance and upgrading the system. Uh, so a relationship that's similar uh, to the relationship between Turkish and American officers would be formed between Turkish and Russian officers. And if this would create uh, two groups within the Turkish military. And the existing officers in the Turkish military uh, would not like that. But if I could divert the conversation slightly uh, based on your question. So Ian, if Turkey deployed uh, part of these batteries on the Eastern Mediterranean, say in Mersin, uh, let's say, uh, close to the Syrian border, but also uh, close to Syria, what kind of repercussions do you think this would have in the region? Because there's already escalation of tension there.
2: Well, you know, one of the issues I think one has to take into account is the Ru- simply the Russian technical contribution to maintaining this system over time. Um, it's not just a question of buying a turnkey system. This is a very sophisticated thing in which the software and and and the system as a whole, the architecture as a whole, uh, is just as important, maybe more important than the, the missile batteries themselves – Uh, It's probably likely that just as if Turkey were buying an American system or a European system, those technicians will be there for the life of the program and they will inevitably have some influence over how it can be used. Syria is a Russian ally. Iran is a Russian ally. How easy will it be for Turkey to deploy this system against those particular threats? not Maybe not so easy. And uh, and of course, if it's deployed in the west of the country, this is going to look like it's deployed mainly to deal with Greece or to deal with, uh, with uh, Greek Cyprus, which as remote a contingency as that is, is obviously not going to look very good in the west.
0: So let's say Turkey goes through with the purchase of the S-400 system, as you both are predicting, um, the delivery and the production of the S-35 is halted. And the U.S. imposes sanctions, because you're both saying that that's likely. Is that correct? Does the White House have the ability to counter the Hill when it comes to sanctions, or is that something that's— not,
1: Definitely not in the case of Katza, uh, because there's a law. I mean, there is some discretion uh, in the case of F-35, but again, it's not likely that the president would use that discretion.
2: I mean, I think, you know, your question points to a an important— issue behind all of this, which is that it's not just the, the question of, uh, of the purchase of the S-400s and whether Turkey will get F-35 or not. It's it's the steady deterioration, I don't know, even collapse frankly, of the strategic constituency for Turkey in Washington, uh, which was always quite strong. There were always critics of course. But there was a very strong uh, constituency in the defense community, um, in the White House very often. Um, This is really a collapse. There has been a general deterioration of those who feel that the relationship, as Osger was saying earlier, would agree with Turks to say that the relationship with Turkey is too important to be jeopardized by these kinds of moves. That's not the case anymore, especially on Capitol Hill where the mood has gotten very, very tough, partly over Turkey but partly over the fact that this is a Russian system. And so you know, those things taken together I think make it very, very difficult to get out from under this sanctions threat. If Turkey can, you know, goes ahead with the purchase of S four.
0: So if the hill goes through with this, then then what happens? What's next in the in the Turkey US relationship? And what about mo- even more broadly? What about Turkey's commitments to NATO? Because Turkey has been a very active partner. Well,
1: I mean, I I have a nightmare scenario that could actually come out this this summer. So if Turkey goes out and buys this four hundred system, as it w- probably will, okay, I think there is no reason uh, to be optimistic. About this, the United States will highly likely implement the Carter sanctions, which will trigger an economic crisis in Turkey, which the Turkish public will rightfully attribute to the United States. Uh, so, anti-Americanism will further uh, be further aggravated uh, in Turkey. First of all, second, the United States will very likely remove Turkey uh, from the F-35 program. But uh, this should not be thought of in isolation only. Uh, this will this may set a precedent. Uh, for future uh, sophisticated weapons programs uh, by uh, NATO allies. And Turkey being denied access to highly sophisticated uh, NATO system uh, will seek replacements elsewhere. So Turkey may become even more dependent on Russian and Chinese and other systems uh, as opposed to Russian systems, uh, as opposed to Western systems. This is why I'm saying this could put Turkey on a path dependency away from the West and NATO in the longer run. Having said this, uh, we should note that Turkey's ties with NATO are very close. Turkey, Turkey, all political parties in Turkey, including the existing administration, appreciate uh, Turkey's membership to NATO and what NATO provides Turkey, not only in terms of security reassurance, but in terms of covering certain costs that Turkey would have to cover itself if it went it alone. Uh, it's, it's just a matter of calculation, and it, it, it's no-brainer uh, that Turkey's benefiting tremendously uh, from NATO membership. But it's also true that Turkey has contributed significantly uh, to the alliance. Turkey makes the point of showing its flag in each and every uh, NATO operation. There's not a single NATO operation that Turkey has not participated in, just to make this point, just to uh, show Turkey's commitment to NATO. Uh, I believe that this will not change. But as Ian has said, the nature of the relationship, the nature of the conversation, uh, will change. I believe that uh, in the future, Turkey will be less confident that the re- NATO allies will come to Turkey's aid very quickly uh, if, if uh, Turkey needs uh, such help. For example, after uh, Syria downed the Turkey re- Turkish reconnaissance plane on the Turkish-Syria border, uh, immediately Article 4 uh, was activated and uh, the NATO ambassadors met together and uh, express support to Turkey in a very short while. Uh, in the future, I think that Turkey will, be, will become less sure uh, that that sort of support will be on Turkey's side.
2: I absolutely agree with all of those points. And, you know, the truth is that if you think about the contingencies NATO faces as an alliance, including the Article 5 contingencies, the territorial threats that would require, uh, you know, being treated as an attack on all, and that's only happened one time in NATO's history. It was at September 11th. But if you think about, you know, future threats of that kind and contingencies most of them frankly involve turkey and so uh, the alliance needs turkey turkey needs the alliance i totally agree with what osger has said i also think he makes an excellent point about the economic dimension here i mean turkey's economy is very weak at the moment uh, the finances uh, the financial outlook is extremely is delicately poised to say the least and you know the imposition of sanctions even if they're only symbolic could have an effect on markets and, and sort of push the economy over the edge at a time when the global economy is not too healthy. Uh, if Turkey wanted to go to the IMF for a package, and that's not inconceivable even if the current administration in Turkey says it doesn't want that, uh, the US would have to vote for that. Is that happening? Well, you know, you can imagine. Uh, the the other thing on on relations with the, with NATO, I mean, Turkey has I – mean, one of the ironies of the situation is that Uh, Even though the relationships are tense, uh, Turkey has been there for all of these operations. Uh, Turkey is extremely active in the alliance, contributes a lot. Uh, But you could imagine that the political relationship with NATO becomes so tense and fraught inside the alliance that either Turkey of its own volition or under pressure – in any case, you see Turkey go out of the integrated military command of NATO. This has happened before. France went out of it and came back in. Um, you know, so that, that, that, I wouldn't rule that out. Um, I don't see Turkey leaving the alliance. I don't, there's no mechanism for an, a lie to be thrown out of the alliance. I don't think we're anywhere near that. But, uh, as a response, Turkey will look for things to do. This could be one, um, compelling the United States to leave İncirlik Air Base could be another.
0: I'm hoping to be able to press the both of you on something that not necessarily a silver lining, but maybe some positive aspects. Say, for example, you were in a senior advisor role to the president of the United States or the president of Turkey. What areas of cooperation would you stress? How would you sort of walk back from where we are now to a place of greater cooperation?
1: I would, I would advise uh, my principal uh, to take a broader view and a longer term view, uh, which politicians, of course, uh, rarely do. Whatever the situation is in the, long, in the short run, first of all, Turkey will need uh, NATO uh, in the longer run. And also, even if our, let's say, we do have some disagreements uh, with the United States, it's, it's it's not a secret in Syria, now in the Eastern Mediterranean as well, etc. But actually, in the big picture, we agree on more issues uh, with the United States than we disagree on. Whereas we're talking about, uh, let's say, rapprochement between uh, Turkey and Russia, we disagree with Russia on, on almost any critical uh, geopolitical issue or... On any strategic issue, from Central Asia to Caucasus, to the Black Sea, to the Balkans, even even uh, in the Middle East, our visions, or even in Syria, where Turkey and Russia are cooperating, our vision for the end game are actually the opposite. Russia wants Assad to stay, and we want him to leave. Uh, so I would advise my principal uh, to a broader and longer term perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean our interests are actually overlapping in many many areas. I mean this is absolutely true. Um, the problem, of course, is that we don't trust each other. This is reinforced. Yeah, we
1: actually suspect each other. We are beyond forced, this you're,
2: Exactly, now. exactly. Uh, not, not too long ago, I wrote a book about Turkey called Beyond Suspicion. But, and that was in a time when it was a bit better, frankly. We really need to get beyond the suspicion. It's a basic problem.
1: Or you need to write Beyond Beyond Suspicion too. Beyond Suspicion too, <laughs> maybe,
2: I don't know. But the other thing, you know, I, I, I'm based in Brussels. So I also see this from the European side as well, where there are stresses in the relationship with Turkey that go beyond our conversation within the European Union. Um, But one of the big differences between Turkey's relationship with Europe and Turkey's relationship with the United States is that with Europe, there is a broad, broadly based relationship. It's economic. It's social. There's a big diaspora in Europe. they – Europe and and Turkey cannot avoid each other. It's not optional for them to have a relationship whether it's good or bad. The United States and Turkey are far away. The relationship is overwhelmingly about security and defense and not much else. Uh, there's trade but it's not, it's not really that significant. Um, and so uh, this lends a certain fragility, a certain brittle quality uh, to the relationship. When it was just managed by professionals. Um, and just managed by, say, the Turkish general staff on the Turkish side, if you go back decades ago, that was one thing. But as soon as public opinion comes into the picture, and the kind of brand of politics that we have today in many countries, this issue of trust becomes critical. And it's very, very difficult to overcome a lack of it.
1: And also, Ian, there's the lack of predictability and clarity, even even like looking at, uh, let's say, the east of Syria, which is uh, part of our disagreement. Is the United States leaving or not?
2: Yeah. Do, do you want us to leave or not? Or, That's not clear either. Do,
1: yeah. And, yeah. you know, or if the United States leaves, what's the time frame like? What does leaving mean? Uh, but in the in the bigger picture, I mean, is, is the United States pivoting away from Europe or not? The president is talking about pivoting away from Europe, but U.S. footprint in Europe it's growing. is growing. So. It also becomes very difficult for allies, particularly an ally like Turkey, which is in a uh, difficult geostrategic position, to make future planning without any clarity. The Russians are very clear on what they need, what they will know, what they will do, what they need from you, what they will deliver.
2: I mean, it's the kind of purely transactional relationship that a lot of people say could exist between, say, the Trump administration and the Erdogan administration in Turkey today. But, you know, frankly, we've come to expect more than that from relations between Turkey and the United States. And it's not just about the transactional piece of it. That was always there, you know, practical cooperation where interests aligned. But there was also a values piece to this. There was a sense that Turkey was joining a project in the West. We had projects together. Uh, this, This is very, very weak at the moment, to say the least. And so, you know, you can take your choice. You can have the values thing or you can have the transactional thing, but pick one. Have one of them be functional.
0: And at the moment, we have a situation in which neither one is operating. And in this current administration, let's be honest, it's probably not going to be the values conversation because that really hasn't been the piece of the strategy for, for any other.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, certainly compared to the previous administration, but even earlier administrations, it seems to be less of a values project. And I would say actually with Europe, that's also true. It's not just with the United States.
1: So, Ian, actually, I would like to ask you a question. Uh, we we have talked about the deficit of trust or even uh, mutual suspicions. We have talked about the the pro-relationship constituencies on both sides collapsing. But I believe another problem uh, is the non-existence of a valid strategic framework uh, between the two countries. Because as a matter of fact, the strategic framework uh, guiding U.S.-Turkey relations uh, was built during the Cold War, uh, was very relevant uh, in that setting. Uh, But in today's setting, it has become a little bit obsolete and tells us nothing about what Turkey and the United States should be doing together uh, in the Middle East and uh, in in Turkey's periphery. So how do we find our way uh, when we don't have a that's a st- strategic framework in you know. a
2: Well, you know, the values thing can also be a bit of a strategic framework in a different sense. And the trust thing is absolutely essential. I mean, it may be that under the very chaotic conditions we have today, you're simply not going to have a strategic framework of the kind that we had in the past. And even in the past, when it was operating against the Soviet Union, you know, in the case of Turkey, when was it actually tested? It was a theoretical thing. It was good that it remained theoretical for Europe. Uh, we don't really know how it would have worked. We don't.
1: Uh, so what are we left with? We're Actually, left with if we knew, it would mean that it didn't work. If
2: right? we knew, we probably wouldn't be here talking about it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in a nuclear era. But um, you know, this is this is extremely consequential for the two for the two countries. I think we both have certain myths about each other, which are becoming. You know, sort of difficult to digest under the current conditions. In the United States, we look at a map. Discussions about Turkey and strategy tend to start with people looking at a map and saying, look where Turkey is. It's relevant to the Balkans and the Middle East and the Black Sea and the Mediterranean. You know, it sits astride cultures and it's a bridge between civilizations and all of this kind of thing. And of course, Turkey likes to talk about itself that way too, right? Um, and when we look at the range of issues that we face today, I think it's becoming more and more apparent that. The difference of perspective between a leading regional power like Turkey and a global power like the United States, it's inevitable that we're simply not going to see things in the same way. I think that's part of our problem.
0: We've been talking a lot about bilateral relations, multilateral relations, and international arms deals, but we really can't forget the role domestic politics plays. And today we saw the news that Turkey's Supreme Electoral Council ordered a new election for the mayor of Istanbul where the opposition candidate actually had won back in March. Ozgar, can you give us a little background on the domestic political situation? What is the significance of this decision for a rebote in Istanbul? Is it a win for Erdogan and his political party or not?
1: Well, I think it's a gamble uh, for President Erdogan. The stakes are very high and the odds are against him. Uh, I'm saying the stakes are very high because if he loses a second time, it won't be uh, that he's only losing the municipality of Istanbul, but people, including his own voters, uh, will then argue against the wisdom of uh, running, rerunning the election uh, given the or the, or the burden on the Turkish economy. I'm saying that the odds are against him uh, for several reasons, actually, because the opposition candidate, uh, Ekremi İmamoğlu, has, has not done any mistakes since his election. So there is no reason why anyone who had voted for him in the original election uh, would change his vote. On the contrary, actually, the decision to rerun uh, has agitated Uh, the opposition voters, and consolidated them. So I believe that it's possible that Ekrem İmamoğlu, the opposition candidate, actually increases his vote. On the contrary, there are reasons why somebody who voted uh, for the AK party candidate, Binali Yildirim, could change their vote. Uh, First of all, the economy is doing worse than when it was uh, during the first election in uh, March 31st. Uh, the Turkish lira has slided significantly. The inflation is still very high, and the unemployment rate uh, has increased significantly. Uh, second, there is a tremendous election fatigue in the Turkish society. The Turkish people really want some, a period when they don't need to go to the ballots. So I believe that a lot of voters in Istanbul, including those who are voters of the AK party, will be frustrated that they need to go to the ballot again uh, in the middle of the summer. Uh, for these reasons, actually, the incumbent, the candidate of the incumbent party could actually uh, lose some votes. Uh, so, but if the odds are against him, if the stakes are so high, uh, why did President Erdogan want to go to Iran? Well, because Istanbul uh, is the jewel of the crown. Losing Istanbul uh, mean may mean, in the words of President Erdogan, losing Turkey. The-
0: you, you said that Part of the reason, well, the, one of the main reasons for the loss of power for the AK party is uh, the economic decline. When we're, t- we're talking about the S-400 deal and the F-35 deal and the possible sanctions, how risky is it right now for Erdogan to be doing the deal that could lead to sanctions and further the decline of Turkey's economy?
1: Well, there is no question uh, that Turkey's taking delivery of the S-400s will eventually lead to another uh, economic situation in Turkey. Uh, But I think the timing doesn't overlap uh, because Russia is preparing to deliver the first components in July, uh, which is after the election, and the CAATSA sanctions uh, would be in question only after uh, the first delivery is made. Uh, On the other hand, of course, Financial markets may already factor in uh, some of those risks even before uh, the parts are delivered.
0: Does a weakening political grasp at home limit President Erdogan's abilities um, to walk back from the S-400 deal? Well, you're saying that's already done deal. But in renegotiating or his dealings with the West, is what's happening domestically impacting? It
1: could go both ways, actually. So President Erdogan could find a way, could try to find a way uh, out of uh, this corner, and he could maybe uh, find rapprochement with the way, He's, his way out of uh, the situation. Uh, then he would get into more constructive dialogue uh, with Western allies. But it could also harden him, you know. He could feel cornered, and when a politician uh, feels cornered, he toughens.
0: So let me ask the both of you, um, as we close out the um, episode today, what are, what are the next big things that we're looking for? Erdogan and President Trump will see each other on the sidelines of the G twenty. the s four hundred you said the first parts are scheduled to arrive in July. in July. so so what's the what's the next big thing that that we're watching for?
1: Well, well, the next big thing is Turkey taking delivery of the first parts of s four hundred, meaning that there is no way there's, there's no, no, no way back from point. there. Yeah, that's the point of no return.
0: okay. And then the sanctions would follow that,
1: yes.
2: And I think it would be very difficult to imagine Turkey uh, not having, not facing those sanctions. It will happen, and some of the consequences that Özgür sp- spoke about, including ones that go beyond the security realm, that have to do with uh, with Turkey's economy and markets, um, would really come under strain. Um, and we could find ourselves having to look for a different base in the region uh, not being an injury lick. There are a whole series of things. I, I, what is the best that we can hope for? I mean the outcome that we're describing now is probably the likely one unfortunately. But it's not the only one. I mean I could imagine a circumstance under which the two presidents talk to each other and with some you know, effective kind of ground level diplomacy having been done beforehand having a kind of package – of things on the table that President Erdogan could credibly take to the Turkish public and say, we got something. Uh, We didn't talk too much about American support for Kurdish militias in Syria, the YPG, and so on. But this is a thing that the Turkish public is deeply focused on. Uh, You know, an American move on that front would make a big difference to the situation.
1: And there are ongoing talks
2: and there are ongoing talks about this so, so there are things that could be done in Syria there are things that could be done perhaps with a delay in receiving these these parts of the system from russia I don 't think that's very likely but it 's conceivable
1: I mean there's a formula that people are talking about which i don't find very credible uh, but which is not impossible either uh, that Turkey agrees with Russia to deliver uh, the s400s to a third party that does not have weapon systems.
0: For a temporary hold? A no, no, no, no. A third-party temporary
1: hold? No, no, no, no. Hold? To, no, to sell it to a third party, ah, basically. Ah, okay. Uh, so Turkey not taking delivery uh, of the foreigners and someone else taking delivery of them. I mean, this would solve the whole problem, but for this yeah, to happen, I, I, I, Putin... Uh, to <laughs> yeah,
2: well, that's right. He gets a vote. And, you know, part of the situation we've not talked about, it makes it even more complicated, is the fact that at the same time, the United States is trying to sell, convince Turkey to buy Patriot our version of the S-400 system. Uh, there's also a European consortium in the mix here as well.
0: Um, so have we gotten to the place now where that's actually a possibility? Because you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there's been back and forth. There's There was talk, but then they never knew whether or not it was actually going to be a deal, or if it was an offer. No, this
1: time this time it's actually different. Uh, this time the United States has a uh, pre-authorization, uh, if I may. I don't know the uh, correct term, but the Senate has already authorized uh, the United States to sell patriots to Turkey with the condition that Turkey uh, walks out of the S-400 deal. So the moment uh, Turkey does not uh, go ahead with the S-400 deal, uh, Turkey already has a uh, very uh, attractive proposal uh, from the United States uh, for the patriots. And this is what Turkey wanted. That could be a happy ending, okay? I mean, if we're looking for one. I mean, Turkey finding a way not to buy the S-400s, and Putin being okay with it, and the only way is transfer uh, to a third country, and then Turkey buying, that would be a game changer. Yeah, obviously.
0: and this sounds like it's going to take some but heavy dealing should, in Syria. And well, absolutely. and
2: It's not it's not inconceivable in this highly sort of personalized foreign policy that, um, that w- the next time that... Uh, that Trump and Putin speak uh, or by phone, that there could be some agreement with other issues of course on the table between Russia and the United States. It's a very long list um, that would somehow modify the Russian view about this and somehow make it easier for Turkey to delay or back away from this deal. It's an extremely complicated uh, equation, uh, very fraught. Very uncertain. We will see.
0: It sounds like we'll be keeping an eye out for, um, or an ear out for conversations that are taking place over the phones between the leaders, and then certainly watching what happens on the sidelines of the G20 in Japan at the end of June. So we'll keep watching Turkey and see how it develops. Hope to have you back on the podcast in the near future. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you, Cher. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Cher.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon.